I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Welcome to the Storytelling Lab, where we break down how to get to the heart of your story and the hearts of your audience to leave the greatest impact possible. And now here's your host, a filmmaker and competitive storyteller, Rain Bennett. What's up, my beautiful people? Welcome to another episode of the Storytelling Lab, where we break down the art and science of storytelling. This podcast is brought to you by Magnanimous Rentals. Cameras, lenses, lights, and much more at the lowest rental rates online. Magnanimous Rentals, every order submitted at magrents.com. That's M-A-G-R-E-N-T-S dot com. Every order submitted receives a discount. Inexpensive production essentials ship right to your door. Magrents.com. Go Magnanimous. Listen, I've been working with Magnanimous Rentals for a few years, and I love it. I can't tell you how awesome it is to have a production trip, which I travel at least once a month or so, and I pack my bags and my luggage with my clothes, I hop on my plane, I reach my destination, I get to my hotel or my Airbnb, and boom, my equipment is there waiting for me nicely packaged up. My cameras, my lenses, tripods, lights, I didn't have to travel with any expensive or heavy equipment, and it just made everything a breeze. I do my shoot. I knock it out of the park, I pack the equipment back into the packaging it came in, and I stop by UPS or FedEx on the way back to the airport, and boom, it's back on its way to Magnanimous Rentals. Super easy, super affordable, and listen, if you have a production in-house for your business and you can't justify purchasing camera equipment, this is a perfect affordable alternative for you guys. Rent the equipment that you need and then send it back. Magnanimous Rentals, go check them out at magrents.com. And as always, this podcast is brought to you by Six Second Stories, where we help you maximize your impact through short-form storytelling. What if a boy made friends with an alien? What if there was a swimwear company that made swimsuits that were both stylish and functional so you could actually enjoy them when you're swimming in a pool or the ocean? 
what if you use this exercise to kick off your story? Well, this is one of the many things I talk about with today's guest. Today, my guest is Sabina Harnow. And Sabina owns a company called From Scratch. And she is an expert storyteller who helps marketers tell their stories. Sabina and I linked up on Twitter. She followed the podcast. She's been a great person to chat with and has has supported a lot of the things that we have put out there. And over the course of the past few months, we have become friends. And all based off of the love of stories and helping people understand how to become better storytellers. So she reached out, and she reached out first because she was writing an ultimate guide to storytelling, which we reference quite a bit in this episode. And she asked if she could use some of the materials that that we had. And she references the Storytelling Lab podcast in there, which I was super grateful for. And then when we got chatting, it was just like, look, we got to have you on the show because what I really liked about Sabina is that we share a lot of similarities in how we approach storytelling and how we help people become better storytellers, but we're also very different in our approaches. We have things that we don't, I don't like the word, we don't disagree on, it's just different approaches. Because as I mentioned in this episode, we could all write a story about the same exact thing and they would all be different stories because we're different people with different experiences and different perspectives, right? So I really love to talk to people about our differences and how we approach the same subject. And this is a great episode to do that. So if you're interested in becoming a better storyteller and learning how to tell not just your one brand story, but the stories of your brand, plural, then this is an episode for you. I'm going to stop talking so you can listen who you came here to hear. Here is my guest, Sabina Harnow. Check it out. Sabina, welcome. I'm so glad to talk to you again for the second time, for the first time we're actually recording. Yeah, Rain, it's such a pleasure. I've been looking forward to this for a couple of weeks now. So um, we were talking a little bit about the silent disco that you attended this past weekend. Mm -hmm. That seems like an interesting uh, story to tell. Well, yeah, I think it's um, it was my first silent disco. Um, I'd never even seen one, except on television, actually. There's a satirical British TV show about the BBC uh-huh. where some uh, creative marketing person introduced the silent disco as a celebration. Every time they'd done something great in the show, they all had to dance silently with their headphones on. And for me, it was the first time on Saturday, but it was good fun. It all depends on the people and the music, really. Mm, that's a good point. Could you get into it? Could you like let your guard down a little bit and, and not worry about how how you came off, how you appeared? Yeah, but I, I guess I'm good at that anyway with dancing because I just like to dance. So. And as a storyteller, you're used to being vulnerable and having empathy and exposing yourself a little bit. Yes, and also showmanship, Showmanship. I would say, is a big part of it. Um, I think vulnerability is a big part of it, but also knowing kind of, um, you know, when you're dancing, some of it is maybe not necessarily what you're feeling in that moment. Some of it is maybe exaggeration or it's a little bit of jazz hands. And (laughs) um, (laughs) 
I quite like the, the metaphors of jazz hands, actually, also in storytelling, where you can go a little bit above and beyond and just, you know, make it more exciting. Well, you have to, right? Because reality is never really that interesting. I mean, it can be, but sometimes you got to amp up the details just a little bit. Yeah, or leave some details out. <laughs> or leave some details out. <laughs> yeah, so I, yeah. I read uh, your um, storytelling guide or handbook. What would you call it? Well, it was the, initially I wanted it to just be a kind of uh, in-depth blog post, but as I was writing it, it turned into nearly like it could probably be a book if you made small very book, small yeah. pages. <laughs> yeah, because I, I just couldn't stop writing about it. Also, people came with uh, came out with questions while I was writing it, so I felt like I wanted to answer them. And yeah, so I just call it the super massive guide because it's kind of a step above almost an ultimate guide in length yeah yeah for sure it was super in-depth and had great examples which is one of my favorite things but my favorite thing i have to say is i noticed something familiar in there that must have been added somewhat recently i don't know when you were saying there were good resources and books that people could read for storytelling i also saw a little shout out to the storytelling lab and well. I got so excited. <laughs> that was very kind. Well, that wasn't was an easy choice to include. I mean, when I found your your podcast for now, the first now, time, now wait a second. Just... Are you sure you just didn't do it like before we logged on to the call just now? No, no, no. That's a couple of weeks <laughs> back. I mean, that a uh, guide. I think that went live about four weeks ago or something. And um, at the time, I already knew the story uh, telling lab podcast. So yeah. So that means totally. we're having an, having an effect on someone somewhere. Good to Absolutely. know. Absolutely. Yeah, I've been sharing some of your episodes kind of with my followers and in uh, masterclasses that I've been teaching because when I was researching for the for the for the post, I came across the podcast and really dove into it, you know. I usually spend a couple of weeks if not months researching a topic before I put out a big guide. Right, right. And uh, yeah, your voice featured heavily in that time. So, <laughs> yeah, thank you. That makes yeah. me feel good. It makes me feel like we're on the right track. I, um, I told you, you know, I was keynoting last week at a communication directors conference. And so th one of the big tracks that they were featuring in the different speeches and, and breakout workshops was digital storytelling. So there was a lot of conversation about storytelling. I felt like I was with my people and when storytelling, uh, enthusiasts and experts get together. I think it's fun to really nerd out about how stories work. I mean, it's good for people like us because it's like a marketing buzzword, but it's also on the flip side of that coin. I feel like you have a lot of people talking about it that don't really know how to how to do it, right? Or they're just talking mm -hmm. about it and not really talking about how to do it. Yeah. So how did you get in this world? Um. <laughs> Um, I recognize so much of my own feelings when I when I was just listening to you, you know, about how there's like this buzzword and yeah. uh, everybody's talking about storytelling and not everybody's kind of talking about it the the right way, in my opinion. Right. There's a lot of um, a lot of talk where where there's very little practical advice behind it. It's totally. just kind of hyping the word, but not actually telling people how to do it. And I think. There's, I'm a bit of a nonconformist, so when Harry mm. Potter came out, I, I kind of felt like I couldn't read the Harry Potter books because they were too popular. So for the <laughs> last couple of months, I felt the same way about storytelling, and it took me a while to get to the point where I felt that um, 
I was annoyed enough with some of the superficial advice that was out there that I needed to get in and share my views. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like I came to this after having been an onlooker for a big amount of time doing storytelling, of course, but not really talking about it in any big way. And um, actually, my story with storytelling, I think, started off on the wrong foot because as a child, I always felt like I wasn't good at storytelling at all. Mm -hmm. Like All my cousins, they were really good at telling all these made-up fairy tales to the little kids in our family. And I was just like tongue-tied when a child asked me to tell them a story the best I could do was to regurgitate uh, regurgitate something that I'd read before, heard before. Right. I couldn't really make something new up like some of my friends or, or cousins could. So I always thought of myself as a bad storyteller. But then um, when I started, you know, writing uh, for a living, I realized that telling true stories is really where my heart is. Mm, so I think same. there's a big difference about uh, between telling made-up stories and telling real stories. And um, if if you think of yourself as a bad storyteller just because you can't invent a fairy tale, then maybe try a true story. Yeah, you may just discover and, your genius there. And maybe you know there was something you said that inadvertently could be used as good advice. You know, you said you regurgitated other stories that you knew. And I think for somebody mm. just starting out, that may be a good place to start, not to just tell the stories that exist, but use them as a framework, right? Like, okay, oh, what's, yeah. what's a story that you like? Now let's pull out some of the key, like the characters, maybe the conflict, uh, you know, a few key parts, and then uh, insert whatever story you're trying to tell through your characters, their issues, their obstacles, uh, etc. So that may be a good a good framework. And I also, as a documentary filmmaker, I've told almost exclusively real, true stories in my career. I'd say ninety five plus percent. I've done some fictional work, but not much. Um, but I have a lot of people when I have talked to on the podcast, and you have included this in your in your um, guy, your storytelling guy too talk about the importance of studying fictional stories to become mm. better storytellers. Um, yeah. So I think there's a, a couple of great points that, that you had in, in what you just said and where people can start when they want to become better that storytellers. That is actually true. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, probably the only mistake I made when I was young was to feel bad about not coming up with something original. Like my, my, my standards were far too high. And I was like, <laughs> what, 10, 12, you know. Okay, um, I was probably totally fine just replacing the wolf with a different animal, like a tiger or something, and replacing Little Red Riding Hood with a different character. I was probably totally fine, but I was kind of judging myself and blocking uh, my own creativity yeah. that way. And I think that way we can always... It's so easy for us to get in our own way, oh. um, judging ourselves prematurely instead of just letting it flow. And especially when you're telling a story to a kid, I mean, they're going to enjoy it no matter what. True, true. Yeah, that's a good point. I talked I talked a lot about this last week about just the things that limit us or prevent us from just starting, just trying. Okay, of course you're you're not going to be the best at anything when you just start out, but you got to get started and then just keep going and you'll get better and better. But a lot of people, especially when it comes to creative endeavors, are reluctant or hesitant or scared to start. And I think that's the biggest that's the biggest barrier to entry. None of us there's some unrealistic expectation to be great 
like you had it when you were a kid. I empathize with that because I was the same way, not necessarily about storytelling, but just things that I put pressure on myself if I wasn't the best at, you know? And so my goal is to help people understand, you know, you're not going to be the best at it until you become great at it, right? But let's start with baby steps, one foot in front of the other and get better and better and better, like anything. Um, Yeah. So... I love talking with different people who understand the value and importance of stories because we all have different perspectives. Mm. And you and I have already talked about our love of stories and how we like to help people understand and how to tell stories. But there's a little bit of difference um, in your approach and my approach. And so I kind of wanted to talk about some of that today. Um, The main thing that I see is that when I start people um, simply trying to understand... Uh, one, one second. This this happened last time we tried to record. This was something else. But my landscapers, of course, are, are just showed up. I'm seeing them out the window. <laughs> it won't be bad. It's just weed eaters and some mowing. But just for anyone listening, there may be a little <laughs> bit of background noise. Hopefully, this professional looking mic does its job. Um, so I want to talk about your approach to the five act structure, which you mentioned in the guide. I typically do three, the three parts, just because I have to break it down to people who are like super beginners. And it's like Mm. I base that off of the beginning, middle and end just to have them understand that there is a structure and that there can be other structures. But tell me your thoughts on the first of all, I want to hear what what the five pieces are, because I think in the guide you were talking about breaking down Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, which is like 17 points, <laughs> which is too yeah. much for anybody to try to get. <laughs> much, even yeah. me, like I don't even want to touch it. I, I, I touch certain parts of it, right? Like, you know, the, 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 the inciting incident, the call to adventure, as he would put it, meeting of the, the mentor and that sort of thing. But what are the five points that you use and why is that structure most effective when you're helping people? Okay, uh, great point. I actually, I want to start with your, the second part of the question. Why five acts, not three? Um, the five acts have the same, like they display the same arc as your three. But in my experience, some people struggle with the middle part of telling their story. Like they, they find it really easy to come up with a beginning. They really find it easy to come up with an end. But then in the middle, they kind of lose the... The tension, it kind of becomes and that's like the a part sagging. that should be the, the most tense. That's the, yeah, exactly. the rising action. Because they don't really always know what to do in the middle. In the middle, there's so much, especially so much. when there's a true story. Right. So much happens between the beginning and the end. So how do you structure that big middle act? And um, this wasn't my idea with the five, uh, with the five acts. It's um, actually a, a technique that's being taught also by people who make uh, like TV drama mm-hmm. or, um, you know, it's an alternative to the three-act Hollywood uh, totally. uh, template. If I could jump in for just a second, it's also sure. how I was taught, and well, probably all of us, to write like essays when we were in, Eng- you know, in, in, in uh, class in, um, in elementary or grammar school or whatever. That, you know, you have your intro and you have your conclusion and then generally there was three body paragraphs. So that's kind of the same structure, Mm, right? It's kind of the same thing. And it also goes back to how we're used to watching like plays, Shakespearean plays, Mm. which normally also have five five acts. I think with Shakespeare, there's some debate over why it was five acts. Some people say it's because the candles weren't long enough to burn through a bigger chunk of the play. So they had to... Make uh, make it five acts with breaks in between to replace the candles, but uh, yeah, 
the 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 beginning the first act i like to call that not the inciting incident because with a lot of people who start a company or an or a social um initiative of some kind like an ngo or something mm -hmm. they don't necessarily always have an inciting incident that they feel is worthy talking about like sometimes it's just the the thought the what if that mm. drove the start and that what if is something that um since i thought about it i found it repeated all over the place like when you look at how pixar teach storytelling they talk about the what if a, a great deal so uh, you can see it reflected in all of their stories and all of the movies they make they always have a big what if um then i've recently i came across this book the the three word rebellion mm. um which is an amazing book by uh, michelle mazur And she also talks about uh, the what if and how the what if is so important because it inspires um, creative action, creative thought. Could you could and you this, give an example yeah. of a what if? Well, for example, um, I uh, know a clothing company um, that was started on the basis of the what if. Mm -hmm. That was what if there were uh bathing suits for women that are both stylish uh, and actually allow me to go swimming in the outside like in in open waters for a long <laughs> time without freezing to death or feeling constricted yeah um so it could be something as practical as that or uh, it could be a bigger one like what if uh we could make sure that supply chains are fully transparent and we can always know where something that we buy was made so it's more about the the driving thought behind a company or a group of people who want to challenge the status quo and do something different. And I think in the uh, social impact space where I tend to operate, it's a very valid starting point for telling your story. Can, can I try one? Um, Absolutely, so you mentioned yeah. Pixar. So let's say Finding Nemo. Would it, would it be something like, what, you know, what if... Uh, You know, what if a, your, a parent lost a child, but you had to find them in the whole ocean? <laughs> Is it something yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah. Like that's the the brainchild or the concept of the story? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I, I like to teach it actually with E.T., which is one of my favorite films. Oh, and I also find, yes. yeah, I find a lot of people have watched it or at least know the no, story yeah, somehow. Yeah, yeah. So it's a good example to be teaching with. And uh, there, the what if could, for example, be what if a child made friends with an alien? Um, it could be as simple as that. That's or what great. if a child it. had to learn to let go um, of wow. somebody who's very close to them? You know, um, I love that. Real quick story. E.T. was actually, it was the first movie I ever saw in the cinema, but I was two weeks old because it came out the year I was born. Of course, I just slept through it. <laughs> it, 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 but it, but I was there. My mom took me when I was two weeks old, uh, and and I didn't cry. I just slept through it. And then it's also the first one I remember seeing in the cinema. It, it must have re-released it when I was five years old, and oh, I cried. I cried so hard. That's when I knew I was a little emotional wreck when it came to stories and 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 movies. And I still am like it, a good movie, a uh, good emotional movie will get me. But I, I love E.T. and I think that's a great example. Okay. I'm sorry. I'll I'll pass no, the no, mic. No, back. Don't be sorry. I think it's a great story, and I think probably because you went to the cinema two years old, watching, watching or not watching, right. you know, you still um, 
get so much from your from from your experiences even when you're fully uh, paying full attention like babies learn in the womb and everything so yeah. maybe you know it's had a hand in making you a professional mm -hmm. storyteller who yeah, knows that'd be cool that'd be cool <laughs> um so yeah anyway so the what if for me is the starting point it's it's very much like an inciting incident sometimes there's an inciting incident tied to it but not everybody is comfortable talking about their inciting incident sometimes it's deeply personal and it's yeah. going too deep or sometimes it's so long ago or it just seems like such a small thing that people don't feel like this would be a good starting point for their company story or for their impact story so the what if is kind of it's a way out of that um yeah 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 i love it. i love it. it's like i often talk about you know how the hero has um their physical goal but then also the emotional goal, which is mm -hmm. like sometimes they don't get the physical goal, but they get they learn about themselves or they forgive their father or whatever the emotional goal is. It's like the what if applies to that emotional goal through line instead of their instead of their physical goal. Does that make sense? So yeah. the inciting incident, and I'm just making this up, I'm just realizing this right now because the inciting incident seems to be like what kickstarts the journey for the physical goal. You know, mm -hmm. the conflict arises or whatever. But the what if, the way you're putting it, sounds to me like it's what kicks off the journey for the emotional goal. Like, why did you start this clothing company? Because I had the thought, what if there were, you know, women's bathing suits that also looked good, but stayed on when we went swimming or just, you know, functioned like ones that um, we could be physical in. So anyway, yeah. like because that's like, that's the journey of the purpose, the purpose of your brand, right? Yeah, not, yeah, not, exactly. not what you do, yeah. but why you do it. Yeah, exactly. So I think it is often, it's there in the inciting incident, mm -hmm. but it's not always explicitly there. Right, right. In um, storytelling for marketing, we don't always have the time to go into a 90-minute blockbuster kind of experience. <laughs> right, so right, right. you have to get your point across a bit more quickly. And uh, the what if... Uh, even if it's not explicitly stated, even if it's just, you know, hovering in the background of the story, it's it's an elegant, inviting way to make the audience part of the story because they also want to know the answer to the what if question. Mm -hmm. They want to be on that journey with you. So it's um, it's a bit less than just advertising yourself. It's actually yeah. talking about a bigger vision. It brings the whole start with why into the into the story as well. So I think it's it makes a nice a rounded experience for the reader or the viewer or the listener. Um, yeah, and then from there, usually what happens is that the story starts going quite well in the beginning. Like People make progress. They've got this new idea. They're starting something. Uh, things are looking good, and that's act two. And then act three, this is like kind of the real midpoint of the story mm -hmm. where you've come quite far in your journey already. There are also challenges but you're kind of going back at this point because the challenges would be just as hard as pressing on through the challenges. So you're kind of, you know, this is for me, it's an important part um, of telling uh, the, the story of a purpose-driven organization because this is where things get super real and where the vulnerability comes in and not hiding the challenges, not hiding the bumps in the road and actually just talking about, you know, 
what it looked like in real life. That's the thing that I often miss when I hear those stories about the seven-figure business gurus who overnight, you know, were this incredible success. <laughs> also passive income. They didn't have to lift a finger. They just switched something. <laughs> on it. The money basically came out of the tap. That's not how life works, and we all know it. So when, when, when a company is, is real about that midpoint where there's highest tension mm -hmm. and you know it's going to be hard if you go on, but it's going to be hard as well if you go back, that's what really captures an audience in the middle of the story. Um, and it's easier to structure that midpoint if you've got it going well, then there's, you know, this, this uh, point of tension. And then the fourth act would be where things look like potentially they're going very wrong. Um, or maybe uh, something really unexpected happens, mm. like with some of the NGOs um, working with, uh, for example, food delivery in, in difficult places in the earth. Sometimes you can't deliver all the food that you've uh, crowdfunded for, that you've got donations for, mm. and then you run against run up against that roadblock, and how are you going to deal with that? That would be a classic fourth act kind of uh, thing to, t to talk about in your sure. story. And then the fifth act, of course, is what you probably also got, like sometimes called the denouement. That's <laughs> uh, the French call it. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's when everything resolves. Like there might be a, a final battle, hmm. often an internal battle, where you have to work things out in yourself. And where sometimes you realize the thing that you set out to do is not necessarily the thing you should do. And uh, then eventually things resol resolve in a way that either you win or at least you avert a negative consequence. Um, hopefully it's a happy ending with uh, most of the companies that I've worked with. It's been happy endings. Um, yeah. So I, th I think that way it's often easier for a beginner to structure their story. Mm. What's some of the, <clears throat> you alluded to this a little bit, but what's some of the the most common things that people struggle with when they're learning how to, to tell their stories? Mm. I think one part of it is really the, the not glossing things over. Mm. Say more about that. Yeah. Um, I think often it's too much like an ad. Yeah. I think storytelling can be so much more powerful than just an ad. I mean, it's, an ad can also be a great story. Yeah. Uh, that could totally happen. But I think sometimes in the marketing world especially, um, it feels safer if we never mention the, the mistakes we made or the dead ends that we ran into or you know where people let us down or we let people down or mm -hmm. things just didn't go as we planned. Um, but it's completely normal. It's part of life. And I think in this day and age – People will want to engage with you on that deeper level. So if you offer them that bit of information, it just creates so much more loyalty and a deeper relationship. And people realize, oh, there's real people uh, running this company or running this NGO, and we want to connect with them on a personal level. So it, I think it's really important. It's hard for people to be bold enough to have that vulnerability. And, <clears throat> you know, they think, well, this is business. It's not personal. Why would you want to show your flaws? And I agree with you 100% that I talk about people sharing their behind-the-scenes stories where you show the how of what you do, um, how it's done. Um, and for there to be stories, there has to be conflict. And I also noticed, and I completely agree with you on this, in the guide you talked about, 
you didn't say this word, this is my word for it, but oversharing. Like there's a difference mm. in oversharing and just sharing where you've, you know, being vulnerable and sharing struggles or conflicts that you've overcome. That is something that people can empathize with because we're all flawed. We all make mistakes. And if they see that you pushed through adversity and came out, you know, on top, that's to me, that's something they will support. People, yeah. people are reluctant to, to do this. Um, but I fully believe and, and totally agree with you that if we can be vulnerable enough to at least show that our, our bumps and bruises and scrapes a little bit, that people will, will empathize with our mission, with our purpose, with our journey. Oh, yeah, totally. And I think you've brought up a really uh, important point here. It has to be something that you've already managed. Like you have to have moved past it. <laughs> yeah. Because as an audience, we want to feel safe with you. We yeah. want to feel like you're capable of overcoming those obstacles in your path. And especially if we're not just your audience, but potentially your customers or your um, funders or, you know, supporters in some way. We don't want to support somebody who's kind of on their last leg necessarily. That's just human psychology. We want to be in with somebody who we think has a good chance of making it out happy and relatively unscathed the other end. So, for example, if you're crowdfunding, it might be a good opportunity actually to talk about some things that went wrong in the past and how you rectified those mm -hmm. things because it can reassure the people investing into your company, um, even if it's just 20 bucks. You know, those 20 bucks mean a lot to people. Yeah. Um, and just to anyone listening, an example of oversharing and what uh, Sabina and I are not saying to do. I was working with someone in, in the past and we were had a meeting with a client and you know there was there's always things behind the scenes that you know struggles that to overcome there's always conflict um but when we were sitting at the table that person who i was working with was <laughs> the client was like yeah yeah how'd everything go and they were like oh we, al we almost didn't make it <laughs> i'm just like oh my god shut up like so don't say that to your client don't tell them that you almost didn't make it but as you said, Sabina, as we've moved through and we've accomplished those things, that's a good story later and later to tell. Hey, we you know we we had these adversities and we overcame them this way. But you don't have to be super detailed. You don't have to expose yourself a lot or overshare. But there's nothing to support. And like you said, it feels like an ad if all we talk about is how great we are and how great the stuff is that we do. I just yeah. think that in this day and age, and you said that exact expression uh, in, in this podcast, in this day and age, people are tired of being sold to. They, they're already trust weary. Like they don't believe anything. You know, we're in this era of, 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 of fake news and, and, and such. And so people are searching for that reliability, for that authenticity. And, if we're too salesy, people are, are hip to it now. They're intelligent. They're smart. They know, you know, they'll see right through it. They'll see right yeah. through it. So I think that if you can find that line between being authentic and oversharing, that's the sweet spot. Yeah. It seems to me. Totally. And I think it's also really important when we're talking about impact businesses mm -hmm. um, as a tool to not be in danger of greenwashing or yeah. you know the equivalent social washing where you're almost you're over promising what you're doing for for the planet and for people mm. 
but you can't actually fulfill all those things because you know some companies are uh, uh, in the spotlight in the public spotlight for for doing those kind of things like for example saying okay we made this product super um, energy efficiently but actually when you look at how they run their supply chain a lot of people are being exploited uh, exploited mm, and not off. paid properly and things like that so I think if if you're struggling with talking about uh, past mistakes maybe talk about aspirations instead and the tension that comes with that that would be an alternative way of framing this where you can look at okay on my list of ideal things that I want to achieve, there's so much more that I haven't yet achieved. That's great. I but love it's that. still on my list, right? I love that. A list of aspirations. Yeah, that's, a, that's yeah. such a better way to put it. And you're so right. There is a dark underbelly to a lot of these companies and organizations that are claiming to do, you know, these great, you know, these great things for the world, for the earth, for diversity and inclusion, you know, for yeah. anything. There's a, there's a lot of talk and surface level um, projections or whatever you want to call it when there's 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 some darkness to the to the underside. So now I think that's a good way of putting it, because, again, you're being authentic. And that's something that people can relate to, like, hey, we're not doing everything perfectly yet, but we're working hard towards it. And here's the way here's the ways that we're working towards it. And here's our goals. Here's where we'd like to be. Would you yeah. like to help us? <laughs> you know, and then yeah, that's yeah, like, exactly. that's what journey they would like to, you know, hop on board with you, right? Like we're going yeah. here. Here's what we want to achieve. Here's how we want to do it. Here's what we can improve on. Would you like to help us? That's to me is a much better way to sell someone than like, we are so awesome. Look at all the great we're doing in the world. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, if it's true, it's fine, right? Just back it up with information. Just back it up. Yeah. But yeah, don't go out there and tell us how great you are and then, you know, hide all the important info. And um, also, I think what's really nice about um, talking about your aspirations is that it feels less um, dangerous to open up about things that maybe didn't quite go quite right when you tried to achieve those aspirations in the first place. Like, mm. for example, if you're running a shop and you would like to sell a certain kind of product, but you've not been able to source it because nobody seems to make it or the the people that you talk to weren't ready to go into an agreement with you or something, right. that is something that could happen in your act three you know, where things get tense because you want to achieve something. It doesn't quite work out. So what are you going to do? Are you going to stop your whole endeavor? Mm. What What are you going to do? You know, it could put some things seriously into question for some some people who've got a plan and they can't fully execute it the way, the way they initially wanted to. But maybe you find a, a really clever way around it so you can still go on, press on with your plan and then incorporate the solutions later on as you find them. So that would be a really interesting story for people to engage with because it shows your ingenuity and how you overcome obstacles, but at the same time also doesn't make you look bad. I think often we think of failures and mistakes and those things as something that make us look bad in people's um, eyes forever, like it's mm. uh, leaving a mark that we can't wash off. We love a good comeback story. Yeah. You know, that's a good point. Yeah. It's not a forever thing. Uh, what does from scratch mean? That's your, that's your, <laughs> your company, your brand, right? Yeah. Well, the story of my brand, um, started 
uh, started at a, uh, a workshop because it's quite a funny it's quite a funny thing because initially I didn't actually plan to like I was kind of on the fence about going it my own I was yeah. uh, working agency side for a couple of years and you know I liked my job I didn't like every aspect of my job I think everybody can probably sympathize with that sure and um, from time to time, friends and family told me, you should really start your own business because you can't like you're the we believe you would be great at this. I wasn't so sure. And then I went to um, an event about marketing for copywriters. And actually, I didn't go there for my own sake, like I didn't plan to do my own business at, or start my own business at that time. But the, the idea came out of that workshop. Because we, there was an exercise that asked us to look at everything that we like doing and um, mm -hmm. parts of our personal history and things that we were interested in and then find a common denominator of all of those things. And I realized everything that I really enjoy doing is somehow from scratch. Like, um, you know, cooking, making things, uh, cre the creative act itself, writing poetry, writing, you know, writing something where there was nothing before on the page. Um, but also I'd worked for Lego for a while. There's a lot of building from scratch involved That's if you cool. don't follow the instructions, yeah. um, which is my favorite way of building. <laughs> so um, reinventing things or, or starting from scratch is really a, a thing. Also reinventing myself by moving to a new country, starting a new career. It's been part of my history. So that became my brand name. That's awesome. What, what, yeah. are, what are some of the projects that you're working on now that, uh, that you're excited about? I'm, uh, I'm always excited about all projects I take on. I don't take them on if I'm not excited. So, Fair point. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So at the moment, I'm really involved in two projects only because um, I'm due to go on summer holiday. So I didn't want it to overload my schedule too much. Sure. They're both in the software world this time, actually. Mm. And um, they both have the power to change the way people work. Um, and especially by putting putting people at the center of things like when you look at the, when you look at how companies choose software it often seems quite cost driven mm -hmm. like there's a lot of talk about time savings cost savings all those things but actually when you look at the power that technology can bring to an organization there's often something about empowering people creating yeah. fairness creating transparency and equality. Equality is a big value of mine. It's also my favorite uh, so, uh, sustainable development goal, number yeah. 10, reduced inequalities. And I can see both projects contributing to that. That's awesome. Um, yeah, you're 100% right that so many decisions are cost-based and don't really think about experience and, and the effect that they can have. And actually, this makes me think of it's related. This makes me think of, you mentioned this in your guide too, which I thought was really cool. The uh, project Snow White that Airbnb did, mm -hmm. yeah. um, which we had Nick Sung, one of the Pixar story artists on the podcast, it, you know, for season two. So just a few, uh, we haven't released it yet. Um, but I spoke with him a, a month or so ago about that project, which was really cool. And if for those listening that, um, that aren't familiar, that's uh, where they basically designed the story experience of of the users, right? Um, yeah. They they basically drew out in in a storyboard the different 
paths of user experiences that uh, that someone could have on on Airbnb, and I just thought that was a really cool way to to lay it all out about designing, you know, what they would offer their people to see like what what could potentially happen to them instead of just saying, well, here's what's going to make us or you know save us the most money here, make the most money here. Uh, and then on top of all of that, Airbnb and Pixar working together is a pretty awesome collaboration. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. found I found that too. I loved that example. I think actually you were the person that brought it to my attention. Oh, was I? Yes, oh, <laughs> I found it through you. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Well, that episode yeah. you'll really dig. He was a great guy. His name is Nick Sung. Um, so, what are what are some of the stories that? people can tell now we're if you're if you're like me you work with a lot of people who are beginners and we've given them good advice um what are some of the stories that they can find because you know you mentioned something in the guide too and i know i keep coming back to that but that's just because it was chock full of, of so much good information where people think that the only story you have to tell and in fact i love this part the only story you have to tell is your brand story and like that's it mm-hmm. and so when i give workshops or speeches I try to lay out at least five different examples because I try to teach people how to tell stories and a lot of the people that I've seen speak at conferences in the storytelling space talk about how to tell your story and that's it in the singular right in the singular and you mentioned this and I loved it because I'm just like well that helps them for one story and that's it and there's so many other like I want to help you tell the the success stories of your people that you impact, you know your origin story, your impact story, your 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 you know so so many. I want to teach you how to become a good storyteller. I said this a lot this past week. I want to teach you to become a good storyteller so that you can see opportunities to tell good stories easier, right? Because a lot mm-hmm. of people have trouble finding like the content and I'm like if I train your mind and your eye to see the opportunity for good stories then then you'll be able to look at wh- whatever situation you're in and find this find the story there so what are some examples of stories that people can tell that aren't just here's the you know here's my brand story yeah great question I think there are there are so many qu- uh, stories sure. like once you start looking you won't be able to stop finding right. them. Um, so I love the fact that you teach uh, people to, to see those stories. I think, yeah, the brand story is often like kind of even difficult to define because even that could be various different stories and sometimes they're merged Definitely. into one in some more or less elegant way, hopefully a more elegant way, <laughs> more entertaining way. Um, but it could be like your origin story, your founder story. Mm-hmm. There could be a story about uh, your customers and then depending on how many different kinds of people you want to serve, you could tell a story for each kind of person that interacts with you, your mission, your product, your service, whatever it is that you offer to the world. Um, because, yeah, if you sell three different things, then you could have three different stories at least because one for each product or one for each offer. If you are an NGO with various different people that you or kinds of people that you serve, then each group of people that you serve has uh, at least one story inside. I mean, every person that comes in touch with you, there's a story potentially to be told about them. Absolutely. And what they experience. Um, you can also tell stories about your team. And mm. um, I think a lot of the times companies don't do that. Also, NGOs often don't do that. 
but it's it warms up the whole experience so much when you go to a website or you go to an event and people open up and are willing to share something of themselves i think it changes the whole conversation absolutely yeah um also think of your competitors i think one mm. exercise that i like to do is um tell a story about why your competitor is actually also a good choice for certain people like imagine a protagonist who would be better off if they went with them instead of with you because that helps you to really understand the differences between you and those other people and it reduces the need for direct competition it makes it more of a an equitable yeah, marketplace and, and, of and, ideas and and it carves your own lane you know any marketer yeah. that you talk to or any entrepreneur that has been successful often talks about like trying to own a category so there is no competition mm. right trying trying to carve out your own lane is how i would put it and it reminds me of and speaking of airbnb i'm an airbnb host and it reminds me of a of a tactic that i had to use which totally helped me in marketing my airbnb so i have an older home like over 100 years old it's got wow. a lot of charm, um, but it also has a lot of flaws because they're an old home. It's like, you know, there, there are always holes somewhere. So, like, it's, you know, it's, <laughs> it's not an efficient home, right? So, air tends yeah. to get out or in. Um, it's in the woods, so sometimes there's critters. Um, you know, there's no deer getting in the house or anything like that, but it's, it's not for everybody. And so if it was someone coming from a metropolitan area who wanted the clean, sterile environment of a hotel, this is not that. Yeah. And when I first started out, I would get people like that and they they their experience wouldn't be as great as I would want it to be. I'm really big on customer service. Um and it it hurt, you know, I hated it when people wouldn't like it cuz it's a really cute house and it's got a lot a lot of great things about it. But it's for a certain type of person. So what I did was I cut it off at the pass and met it at the middle. And I introduced the house in the description by who it worked well for and who it might not work well for. I was very mm. clear. Like, if you want this type of house, this is not the listing for you. I'm not a condo that is, like, you know, brand new with brand new amenities. I'm that, like, uh, actually a customer called it shabby chic which I didn't know was like a thing, you know, but it is. Mm. And it's perfect because it's got like the distressed painted, you know, antique furniture and it's got funky art uh, in it. And it's like if you want to get five minutes outside of town where you feel like you're out in the country, but you're still close to things and you want to have this kind of house that's full of character with a fire pit and a, and a backyard and like, you know, this is the house for you. If you want a perfect replication of the experience of a hotel, this is not. And it totally helped. I mean, now people go to that house for those purposes when they when they want that. Um, so I, I think that um, I think that's a great point. Which again, like being vulnerable, people would be reluctant to promote their competitors. But it's such a great way to explain who you are and who you serve. Mm. Right to say this company is probably better for that type of person seeking this type of result. I am put on this earth to do this for this type of person to achieve this goal. Yeah, exactly. Great example, by the way. You're Thank really you. great example. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. No, I completely agree with you on that. And um, 
I, I think you don't necessarily always have to go as far as com um, promoting your competitor unless, you know, you can't serve somebody. And then it's, of course, the height of customer service. If mm -hmm. you can say, look, I can't do this for you, but these other people might be able to help you. That's like always so well received. But you don't have to like um, mention people in your social media posts or something right. like that. It's not necessary. It's just about understanding their place and your place and how the, this all fits together and storytelling builds our empathy. It's actually been shown to make us better humans. Mm. So I think we could probably reduce some of the harshness and tone that we often find in the marketplace if we just understood and appreciated a little bit more that we're all here to serve a certain kind of group of people. And um, sometimes we can work together. Sometimes uh, we, we can offer something where there's a gap where there's a gap, but um, there's no need to feel threatened just because somebody else offers something very similar because they may be offering it to a different group of people with different needs. Um, and yeah, it may just be enriching everything. Yeah, absolutely. And I see that like there's no one I've had on this podcast and we're not all in competition, but some of us like you and I you know, do the, do the same thing basically for, for a living, you know, or there's a significant mm. overlap. It's not exactly the same thing, but, uh, a perfect example of that. And I use this with, um, I use this example when I'm talking with people, um, is we all have a unique voice and it's all about finding that unique voice who I serve and who I serve well is going to be different than who you serve and who you serve well and how yeah. we serve those people. And it reminds me of like, if we, you know, I use this in filmmaking a lot and storytelling workshops is, is like, if we all experience something, whether it be, a you know, a concert together or using a product or whatever, and we all wrote a story about it, every story is going to be different because we are yeah. all different. So our perspective is different. Our experience is different. Our interests and passions and what we care about is different. So it doesn't, it doesn't matter. There's room for everybody yeah. because we're all different. And the more in, in terms of storytelling and telling our stories, the more I think that we can find our unique voice and carve that path that we've talked about, then the more success I think that we will see. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, I think Seth Godin put it... Um, in he said um, it's about finding your minimum viable niche mm. it's not about reaching as many people as possible it's just reaching the right amount of people who are just perfect. just perfect and then work will be fun they will have great experiences they will totally love it and your business will also grow or you, mm -hmm. your organization your mission will grow because you're not wasting your energy and your time and your money on serving so many people who are to a large part indifferent to you yeah. you're you're just talking to people where there's already a fertile ground for whatever you're putting out there yeah. i love me some seth godin um yes, i think that is I'm a <laughs> <Me too. laughs> um i think that's probably a good place for us to end for today but where can people find you what's next for you well, what's next? Um, I'm currently researching for my next ultimate guide, maybe a little bit shorter than this one. And it's going to be uh, continuing the storytelling vibe, but taking it to email. Mm. Um, email often I pronounced I will be dead. interested in that. 
But I think email is so powerful and um, for storytelling, but also for educating people and driving change. So that's what I'm currently Mm. researching. And I'm going to talk about that more in the autumn. And where you can find me, well, I've got a website, uh, which is from-scratch.net or Twitter, scratch underscore posts. And the guide, the ultimate guide that we have referenced so much in this podcast is just, they can find it on your website. It's just bang on the homepage, so Boom. you can't miss it. And this is for people who are, it's great, great information. As you told me, Sabina, it's, it is a, it's not a long read. It's a thorough read with great detail. So if you're really interested in diving deep, like I, I had a really enjoyable time reading it. You make it pretty easy to read, uh, even though That's... it is, it, it is in depth. So it's full, full of great information and uh, I found myself when I was reading it just like, yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> so I was excited to talk to you because I was like, wow, we really feel the same about a lot of things. So uh, I enjoyed it thoroughly. Oh, that was so great to hear. Thank you so much. Um, yep. And yeah, I mean, I've seen some of your video work and I think it's amazing, um, to, especially you. because you can tell a story in six seconds. Like, I don't know anybody else who does that. We're working on it. There was another storyteller at the conference I was at last week, and and I tweeted this out because she said uh, she was talking about you know Vine and and people that can and the uh, human attention span is like seven seven seconds or something like that. And she said, if you can tell a story in six seconds, you're my hero. And I was like, hey, that's what we do. <laughs> um, and it's tough. It's tough. I mean, and that's something that a lot of advertisers are struggling with because it's easy to do something silly in six seconds and get a little bit of attention and make a joke. That's cool. But can you tell a story and connect with people on a deeper level? That part's a struggle. So we're we're trying to help people figure that out. Um, yeah. Listen, I hope you have a great day or probably it's evening now for you um, and a great holiday. Uh, that sounds fun. And I hope you have some relaxing times away from everything, away from any stress, full of silent discos and canal rides. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And uh, yeah, same for you. Have a great day. Have a great week ahead and stay in touch. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.